one is praise the Lord for summer. <laughs> Pure Michigan. There, it, there's really nothing better than summer in Michigan. Um, Pure, I, we are going to get to the sermon and the text, but I've got a few things to say about Pure Michigan. I love this season. Um, this was a campaign that our governor started a few years back to try to um, increase tourism. And so Pure Michigan, that, so we see signs if you ever cross the state border, you know, Pure Michigan, welcome to Pure Michigan. We've got license plates. We've even got some roads that say something about Pure Michigan on them. But there's just, I was taking a walk, so um, I took the one of the redbud tree up there yesterday on my walk. So beautiful, isn't it? This season is just gorgeous. And so it's not hard to recruit people or to encourage people to come to Michigan because it is just so lovely this time of year. And so Jesus is recruiting people to become disciples. And so pure Michigan and pure disciples. What is a pure disciple of Jesus? A disciple is a copy or a reproduction And so the Lord is transforming us to be pure disciples, to be copies and to reproduce that life that Jesus modeled here on earth. And so today we're going to hear his um, campaign of recruitment for disciples. And so we're going to look at the text from Luke 14, starting with verse 25 to 35. So Luke 14, 25 to 35. Page 1624 if you're using the Bible in your chair. All right. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither for the It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, 
let him hear. And so let's pray. Lord, would you give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying today through your word. And we forbid any twisting or manipulation or misuse of Jesus' words. And we ask that you would help us to understand and to respond to your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is in this campaign about discipleship, and these are the requirements that he lays out for discipleship. Hate your closest people, carry your cross, and give up everything. I don't know how you feel about that, but I find that to be quite a difficult campaign. Like if I was evaluating marketing, I would say this would not probably be a good marketing approach. Um, But this is what Jesus said. And so I did not pick this text for Mother's Day. Just want you to know. This was the one the Lord in his good providence laid out for us this morning. And I'm telling you, this is such good news. And so will you please listen carefully to what the Lord would tell us through this It is such a beautiful text. But I have to admit, when I read this the first few times through, I felt like looking at one of those Sudoku puzzles, like one of the more challenging ones, and trying to figure it out, or a crossword puzzle that's really difficult. It's like, Lord, what are you saying in this passage? And so um, let's unpack this a little bit. I believe the key to understanding what he's saying is at the very end where he talks about salt and losing its saltiness. Salt is sodium chloride, and it's a very stable element that should not ever lose its saltiness. And yet, if in some sources, when and around the Dead Sea area, the sodium chloride was mixed with other um, crude sources, they said. So just other things are mixed with it so that over time it could separate if um, it got humid, or if uh, there was evaporation of water, that somehow the salt could separate from those other crude elements. And then in that context, you could say it lost its saltiness. All right, so when the pure is mixed with crude, that's when there can be this separation. And I believe that this is the way the Lord would have us understand this passage, is that there's this pureness, and then if there's anything else mixed in with it, that that's what um, is the problem. And the Lord is calling for purity. And so disciples are to be pure. You cannot be a disciple because a disciple is supposed to be an exact representation. You cannot be a disciple if there are certain things in your lives that are um, causing you to be less than 100% pure. There are no partial commitments There are no part-time disciples. And one commentator said this, we don't just add Jesus to our middle-class American desires. Think about that. We don't add Jesus to our middle-class desires. And so it isn't all my hopes and all the things I want plus Jesus. It's Jesus' everything. Pure means not being conflicted or not being divided in our loyalties, and in our faith. What are we trusting in? 
And so let's look one at a time at these three requirements because he said, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. If you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. So let's just go through these three. He says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's a hard reading, and that's hard to understand. The New Living Translation translates it this way. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Does that help it make a little more sense? By comparison, so... We can love, and we're called to love even our enemies. So we need to take this passage in the whole of Scripture. But by comparison, we can have this great devotion to family members, but our devotion to the Lord in comparison must make it as if we hated those close family members because we love God so much more. He's to be our priority. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Yeah. And um, we are called to love. We are called to love. And I'm going to ask you to hold any other statements until the end, and we can talk more. We are called to love greater. Do you remember in math that greater than sign? One is greater than zero. Four is greater than three. Do you remember those math signs? Our love for Jesus needs to be greater than any human relationship. Thinking back to the pure salt or that that has got some crude elements in with it, if we were to evaluate in our relationships, sometimes our relationships aren't pure. Sometimes sin corrodes them so that there are parts of our relationships that are entangling. And so this happened In the context of Jesus, when people were becoming disciples, there were family relationships that were telling them, you may not follow Jesus. And so they had to have more love, a greater love for Jesus than any other family member or friend because they had to follow Jesus because Jesus was the way. And so a test might be, whose voice do I listen to? Or is there anyone keeping me from following Jesus? This is helpful to think about in terms of friendships. Some friends just pull you down. They're entangling. There are sinful parts of that that are affecting that person that just keep pulling you down and keeping interfering from you following Jesus and our love for Jesus. And so it may mean we need to give up a friendship or we need to take a stand for Jesus even against people that we love closely or wish that would also agree that Jesus is the way. The second is to carry your cross. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In the um, Roman government, when they were going to crucify someone, put them to death, they would make them carry the cross beam that... Actually, this picture shows him carrying the whole cross, but they would have to carry that part that they were going to be nailed to. 
to the place where they were going to die. It was a very humiliating, very terrifying thing. It would be like you were going to be executed and you had to carry the sword or the rifle or whatever it was going to be. You had to carry the cross to where you were going to be put to death. Suffering and humiliation. Are we willing? We will never pay the price for sin. Jesus did that once and for all. So let's be clear about that. But are we willing to share in Christ's sufferings? And so does, that would look like this. If Jesus says that marriage is between a man and a woman, are we willing to make a public stand and say, we believe that Jesus said this, even if it means public humiliation or going against the ways of culture? Are we willing to take on that suffering, whatever that might look like? And so a test would be, am I willing to die or be humiliated or suffer? That was just one current example. But there are many, and for many Christians in different parts of the world, they are facing even martyrdom, being killed for their faith. Am I willing to suffer? And the question helps to kind of bring out this, the goal is pure humility. And um, as, that we wouldn't have a sense of entitlement. Like, well, I shouldn't have to suffer that. Or I shouldn't, that would be too much. God wouldn't ask me to do that. But actually, would we be willing to do whatever God asks us to do? For some, you went to the National Day of Prayer at Rosa Park Circle. Were you willing to go out and even if the TV camera was scanning to say, I I am a Christian, and I'm praying to God to save this nation and to bring us back into alignment with his principles. Are we willing to be public about our faith? Am I willing to carry my cross? The third requirement Jesus said, and this would be down in verse um, 33, in the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples and so it's testing for something that might be corroded in with our pure love for the lord but maybe there's a love for other things so in a consumeristic culture where we like lots of toys or things we like to collect things we have trouble letting go of things Um, it's testing for a divided heart And so we saw this in, um, you remember a couple of weeks ago where there was this banquet and they were being invited to the banquet and there were these excuses, well, I bought a field and so I can't come or I have five yoke of oxen and so I can't come to the banquet. Lord, I'd like to follow you in my life and I'd like to say yes to what you're asking me to do, but you see, I've got this job or I've got this um, car that I need to pay for And so I can't give to that thing if I want to drive this car. Oh, you would ask me to sell that car and get a cheaper car so I could give more. Lord, I want that car. Are we willing to give up anything or everything in order to follow the Lord? And so it's testing for that divided heart. And the goal is pure trust. 
Because faith in the Lord is that he plans plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And so it's not like the Lord wants you to have um, a horrible, miserable life. But do you trust him enough that you could steward things that he's given you, trusting that if you need something, he's going to give whatever it is needed? And so it's really checking to see, Are we free and eager to serve the Lord in any way that he would ask us to serve as an act of gratitude and worship? Part of discipleship is learning what God wants in various parts of our lives because we don't know when we start to follow the Lord what he might ask us to do. And so, yes, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow the Lord. But, you know, 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road, oh, you would ask me, me personally, to give up being a nurse and go into ministry? Does the Lord have the right to do that in our lives? Are we willing to say yes if he asks us? Or if we take one, you know, one step this way and then he says, hey, I'd like you to wait and not keep moving on. I'd like you to stay put for a bit and keep building relationship. Am I free to follow the Lord in any way that he would ask? He says here in the middle of our text, wouldn't you first sit down and consider the cost if you were going to build a tower? And the expected answer would be, well, yes, of course, you'd you'd consider the cost. Or if you were going to go to battle, wouldn't you figure out who had the most um, soldiers and what your chance of winning would be before you would engage in that battle? And the um, expected answer is, well, yeah, of course, you would think about those things. And so you might consider, what's it going to cost me? Is it going to cost me friendships? Is it going to cost me embarrassment? Are my rights going to have to die? But I think he's saying, consider very carefully. Wouldn't you sit down and consider very carefully? And maybe more questions that we might consider as we're thinking about what the Lord might ask us to do in following him. Is there anything that didn't first come to me from God anyway? And do I really own anything? Or am I just a steward of God's good gifts? Do I believe that God's worthy of my all? Do I believe that he's my king and my master and that I'm a servant of his? Or do I have this picture that actually he's my lotto And that he just gives me good things periodically if I just do some nice stuff that I'll get the lotto. Or is it really that he's in charge and that we follow his directions and orders? Do I believe that my life is meant to be a display of his splendor? And so even in the same way that God was glorified as Jesus forgave, do I believe that as I forgive, my life could be a display of his splendor and do I want that? These are the kind of questions that we would stop and first consider. I, I want to say one more thing about this, and I, I, I'd like to encourage you to think about this too, because these two little sections in the middle, there's a lot to think about. But I wonder whether he would even have us consider it from his perspective. 
Like if, what if we start out as disciples and our lives start to be built from, from ancient ruins and being built back into beautiful, um, something beautiful and being recreated in the image that he was designing for us? And what would it be if all of a sudden our progress stopped because we got stuck and weren't willing to surrender a certain aspect of our lives to him? Would it be that it would bring ridicule to his kingdom in the same way that as we walk and see like, you know, a house that starts getting remodeled and it doesn't get finished and, you know, it's like, man, what happened there? What does it look like and how does it reflect on the Lord's kingdom if we start in our discipleship and then we get hung up and we never quite get finished the project? Or if he's the king of all kings No matter what battle we might be in, he came to take us from the kingdom of darkness and transfer us to kingdom of light. And so if we're willing to follow him, do we trust him enough that he could deliver us fully and completely? And what if we got stuck because we thought the battle was just too hard? And how does that reflect on his kingdom and his authority? And so I think there's much more to think about and consider when we consider what it is and the cost of being a disciple and this journey of discipleship. As I was walking and praying yesterday, I I had my earphones on and I was listening to some Bethel music. And I came across a song I hadn't heard before, but the lyrics just seemed so fitting for this passage of scripture. And so I went home and I looked it up. And what I found was the backstory on why this song, Have It All, was written. Brian Johnson, a worship leader, was struggling with anxiety. And it got so bad that he had to go to the hospital and be treated, get some medicine for anxiety attacks. And in that process, he said that he thought he was surrendered to the Lord, but there were some little things some hostilities, um, some things that had happened in the past, and he realized that he had not fully surrendered those things to the Lord, and it was creating this horrible anxiety and stress reaction in his life. And he said during that process, during that journey of healing, that there was anger, there was bitterness, and the Lord revealed those and helped him to hand those things over to the Lord, to forgive, to let go. And in that process and in that journey, that the Lord met him with his grace and his peace. And so it says, the song says this, You can have it all, Lord, every part of my world. Take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. Oh, the joy I found surrendering my crowns at the feet of the king who surrendered everything. Oh, the peace that comes when I'm broken and undone by your unfailing grace, I can lift my voice and say, you can have it all, Lord, every part of my world. Take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. There is no greater call than giving you my all. I lay it down. I lay it all down. Our lives, they're on public display, and our lives as disciples can bring ridicule or praise to the Lord, 
Our choices can bring life or death just like a battle. They can bring chaos or peace. Another story, and it seemed kind of fitting for Mother's Day, Joanna Gaines from the the show Fixer Upper. When she first got married, she was a communications major. Didn't have any decorating or um, background at all. But she and her husband found this little industrial building, and they fixed it up, and she started a little shop called Magnolia. And they were selling home decorating um, materials, things for decorating your house. And it just started to thrive, and it was successful. But yet, soon after this marriage and this um, business was launched, and it was very successful, she started her family. And she started to feel the Lord asking her to give up that business and to stay home with her children. And she really wrestled with the Lord. And yet she felt like the Lord was saying, you need to, you need to give it up. And she said that she um, found that she couldn't be obedient to the Lord and keep the business. And so she needed to close it down. And she closed it down and she said, on, I think it was the last day that she felt like the Lord said, um, that he would bless her, that there would still be something that would come out of this. But she didn't know what it was. And she said in her heart, she just thought, I need to trust the Lord. And she cried, and she had the last day of her business, and she went home to take care of her kids. She said that was the best thing that ever happened because it taught her to trust in ways that she um, didn't, trust the Lord before that she learned faith she learned obedience and then several years later the Lord brought this platform into her life that they weren't expecting a phone call from HDTV offering this TV show because they had heard about their remodeling and her abilities to decorate and so I pray the Lord continues to give her courage to follow him But this is what it looks like. It looks like very practical ways that the Lord might all of a sudden come in and ask us to make a direction or a shift or a change. And there's blessings when we do, even though it requires sacrifice. She had to give it all up. It's hard. If you just start a business, it would be really, really hard. And probably people might ridicule and think, you just started that. Why are you closing that thing down? It's successful. Why wouldn't you just keep it and hire somebody else? But if the Lord says close it, and if he didn't say just hire a manager, then we've got to close it. What's the story of your life? How pure is the salt of your discipleship? Are there things that maybe the Lord's wanting to separate and pull out these crude components And so here's a few questions to consider. Has the Lord perhaps been calling you to simplify? Has the Lord been calling you to slow down? Are you willing to say yes, Lord, and slow down? Maybe the Lord's been asking you to share. Share what you have. Give something away. Who owns it? Does the Lord own it or do you own it? Has the Lord been calling you to let go of maybe some old habits or some old friends? Has the Lord been calling you to trust him and stay faithful in a situation that looks impossible? Or continue on in prayer 
when something just keeps not being the answer you don't see coming, but is he calling you to persevere? And in your perseverance, that's the purity of your discipleship and the the part that would want to just say, we're tired, we've prayed about that a long time, let's just go to sleep and trust the Lord in his sovereignty He's going to take care of it all. When the Lord's saying, wake up and keep praying, does he have the right to do that? And will you follow? Will you obey? Has the Lord been calling you to be more bold in talking about Jesus? What is the purity of your discipleship? How is the Lord working in your life? Jesus' example, hate your closest people. He had to turn away even from his disciples when they were trying to say, don't go to Jerusalem, you'll get killed there. He had to, in comparison, he had to love God more than even his closest friends. It was pure devotion to his father. He had to carry his cross. It was pure humility that Jesus modeled for us. He had to give up everything. He gave up everything from the heavenly kingdom to come to earth, to come to this sin-infested, broken place. And that was pure trust that the Lord, what he starts, when he starts the redemption, the renewing, the recreating process, that he will bring it to completion. How did Jesus do that? He didn't do it out of his divinity. He did it as a man who was fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. And friends, this is such good news, that when the Lord puts the Holy Spirit in us, he helps us, he strengthens us, he empowers us to be able to make those decisions that continue to bring the purity of our discipleship. Can we make ourselves salty again? Can we make ourselves pure? No, the Holy Spirit makes us pure. The Holy Spirit strengthens us to be able to give up even everything, even unto death, for the joy that's set before us. Because even as Jesus went and endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand at the throne of God, even as Jesus had joy in this, we have joy And it's such a beautiful thing to think about because those things that the disciples had to give up, the relationships, the um, embarrassment, and um, what was the third one now? In my thinking, I've got to think about this a minute. So the relationships, the humility, and everything, right? Think back in Luke 14 a little bit earlier when they came to the banquet There were these relationships, you know, there were these patriarchs as they went into the banquet, the feasts, the feasts that they have to look forward to. There's all these relationships. No, you're not going to take a seat. If you go in and you come in in humility, he's going to give us honor instead. And this feast, everything of the kingdom, all the goodness of the kingdom. We come in through the narrow door of Jesus. And there is joy before us. And there is absolutely nothing that we're going to lack. And it's going to talk to us about this later in Luke. Nothing in the, the time to come, but even in this time, if we give up things, he's going to give us everything and there will be great 
great joy. That's what Jesus modeled for us. That's our inheritance as daughters and sons of a loving father. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help strengthen our faith and trust in you. Lord, that we would believe that your ways are good, your ways are right, that they'll be good for us, and that they'll bring you much glory. And so, Lord, as we lay down things, let us have the the eternal and the big picture that we're not laying down anything that you didn't first lay down on our behalf. And, Lord, we thank you for laying down your life and giving us life and that you came to give it to the full. And so with joy, again today, we surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.